Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Our continuing our study on the life of David this morning. We are are coming to a very touching story, a, a story that that it has affected me at a very early age, and it affects me even now when I when I sit down to read it. And as we kind of get into that, I, one of the things that that we have to consider this morning is that the the faith that we have committed to the the relationship that we have committed to with with Jesus Christ is is something that's radical it's something that's countercultural it's something that that isn't normal it operates fundamentally different than what a typical human culture operates, right? It's, it's looking at, at human culture that it is typically all about pride, all about how great you are as an individual, all about achievement, all about position, all about all of these different things that are, are so important to the world around us. And yet, when we look at, at what is important in a relationship with Christ, none of those things matter. None of those things are relevant. The only position that matters is the fact that God is in position above me. The only pride that I can have is is pride in what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. Human culture in general divides itself by race. It divides itself by culture, by gender, by economic status, by social status. We find all of these different ways that we can divide and segregate ourselves so that we feel like we have a high position. Each group thinking that they are better than a different group. Each group thinking they're right. Each group proud of what they have achieved. And Christianity is radical because the fundamental message of Christianity is that none of us are deserving. That it doesn't matter what gender I am. It doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter what my job is. It doesn't matter what color my skin is, what country I'm from, because none of it makes a difference. None of it matters because all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all equally sinners, all equally deserving of nothing. None of us can stand on what we have achieved. None of us can stand on our best efforts, our good deeds, and have it amount to anything. And it would be wonderful to think that The church, the body of Christ, is free of that pride of position. That the church is free of prejudice. That the church is free of division. That the the church is free of self-righteous 
behavior, that the church of Jesus Christ would not be a group of people who, who boast about being right all the time. It would be great if that was the case. But it's not. <laughs> it's not. And why is it not? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means that we too have fallen short of the glory of God. We're not free of those things. There are people that could walk into the, the building this morning, and if we looked at them, we would maybe have a bad attitude towards them. We would have a bad attitude because maybe the, the way that they're dressed or, or the way that they smell or the, the way that they look or, or just whatever thing is going on in their life that doesn't quite line up with what I think is right and acceptable. And if we're really honest about it, all of those judgments, all of those preconceived ideas about that person coming into this room this morning would be based solely on external appearance, solely on, on outward indicators. We don't know about the contents of their heart. And what we, what we so easily forget, what I so easily forget is that the message that we're coming to celebrate this morning, that the message that we're coming to remember, this communion message, is a message of grace. And what does grace do? Grace levels the playing field. It, it brings the, the highs and the lows to a level playing field where we have nothing that we did not receive. That's what Paul says. And therefore, where is the boasting? And you would think that maybe the, the closer we get, maybe the, the longer that we have been Christians, the longer that we've been in this family the, the more that we read the Bible, the more that we pray, the, the better that we do at this life, right? That's how we feel. The longer that you would do this, maybe, maybe you would be getting better at it. But we don't. <laughs> we often grow, grow from, from having a need to then feeling entitled, from, from worshiping to, to then demanding appreciation to condemnation rest in the, the righteousness of God to then looking at our own self-righteousness and saying look at how good I am and so we we go through this process of separating of segregating of, of condemning and all of it is a violation of the gospel that we say that we're here to believe Not a very comfortable thing to talk about. And to be very clear, it's not something that, that I am free of. It's something that, that I'm actively struggling with on a daily basis. Every single one of us is. And it would be so convenient to be able to look at myself and say, I'm doing pretty good. And it's so convenient for each of us to sit here this morning and to say, I'm, I'm doing just fine. I deserve everything that, that God has given me.
The story that we're going to be looking at this morning is a story that was in a, when I was a little kid, I had a comic book Bible. Um, not very similar to the action Bibles that we give out to the kids today, but uh, I had this comic book Bible. And I very, very clearly remember that there was an evening, maybe before bed, or you know, I don't know exactly what the timing was. I was probably maybe six or seven years old. And I was scrolling through, and I, I came to this particular page, and it was talking about the events that we're, we're going to be studying today, about David and Mephibosheth. I don't think I knew how to say his name when I was reading it. <laughs> but it was a story that, that, in reading it, touched me so deeply. That here is this, this man who really has no deserving factor at all to be blessed by the king, but yet he's essentially being adopted into the family. A man who, who can't walk, who, who has been just torn down throughout his entire life, being, being elevated to the position of royalty. And as we read this story, it's one of the, the sweetest pictures of, of love that we will really ever read. Why is this story in the Bible? Why, why does this story exist here? And we're going to get into the, the actual story itself in just a moment. But, but why is this here? And to really understand that, we have to go back to a study that we did a few months ago, maybe it was even a year ago, where we were going through the story, the story of God's love. And there was this kind of constant recurring theme that we found as we were going through from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end, that there are these two levels that exist, that there's this upper story and then there's this lower story. And the lower story are the events that we see taking place in the Bible. It's the stories of David and Goliath, David and Mephibosheth, David and all of these different events that are taking place. And each of them reinforces and builds on this upper story that God loves his children. And every single story that we see that shows up in the Old and the New Testament is reinforcing this story of God's epic love for his children that, that starts in the Garden of Eden even before that and then comes through the rest of the Old Testament to the point where Jesus Christ comes to earth, again, showing his epic love for his children, going through to his death on a cross, finally, to the time where he returns why is this story in the Bible? It's there because God loves us and he wants us to see another picture of how he loves us. If we look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, years have passed. Each chapter in First uh, and Second Samuel isn't really like a, a specific period of time. Some chapters cover really large periods of time, and some are, are very condensed. 
But what we see here is that the kingdom of Israel has been established. It's been established. It's been unified. David is king of Israel. And in verse 1 it says, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? In this moment we see David recalling the covenant, the promise that he made with Jonathan that, that he would look after his family. Jonathan risked his life to, to protect David. He risked his life because his father was, was in a murderous rage and his father would have killed Jonathan had he known that Jonathan had, had aided and allowed David to escape. And David promises that he's going to provide for and protect for the house of, of Saul forever. And what we see here is David is a man of his word. And so he remembers the covenant promise that he has made. And he wonders if, if there's any person still alive in this now decimated house of Saul, is there anybody that he could live out this covenant promise? There's a servant in David's household named Ziba, and he's was a servant in Saul's household. He was a powerful man because we see in verse 10 that he was a servant, but he also had 20 servants himself, and he had 15 sons. And so David calls him and he asks him, you know, do you know of anybody that, that's still alive in the family of Saul and Jonathan to whom I can show kindness? And Ziba tells the king, that there's still a son of Jonathan alive, but he's crippled in his feet. And the king asks where he's at, and, and the, the story goes on, and we see that this son is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth had a very difficult life. He was a, a prince. He was the, the son of Jonathan. He was perhaps a future king, and in one battle, his father and his grandfather both die, ending the house of Saul forever. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, we see that the, the nurse that's caring for him hears about this battle that has taken place, and she gets up to flee. And as she gets up to flee, she drops the child, and when she drops him, both of his feet are, are crippled for life. They're injured, and he's crippled for life. So he's lost his family. He's lost his position. He's lost his wealth. He's crippled. In that culture and in that time, this child had nothing. And he's living in exile in a, a private home in Lodabar, just trying to scrape by. Now, one of the things that's always important when we're talking about Old Testament scripture is to recognize this is a real thing. This is a real person and a real experience that he's gone through. That doesn't mean that we can't put ourselves in that situation. That doesn't mean that we can't extract 
information from this that can be applicable to us today. How many of you feel like you have had an instance where you have lost everything, where you have lost your, your position, you have lost your wealth, the way that you provide for yourself? Maybe you've lost the place where you live. Maybe you've lost family members. You've lost everything and you're just living in exile often wherever that may be. There is a very good possibility that Mephibosheth really had no idea about the the deal that was struck between his father and David. He was probably just a little boy when that arrangement was made. And so David sins for Mephibosheth, not because there was really anything that this boy could do, anything that this young man could do for him. Mephibosheth had nothing to offer. He was called because of the kindness and integrity and the covenant faithfulness that existed with David. And if we look at verse 6, it says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. Because if Mephibosheth was going to be summoned by the new king, it should have been to be put to death. Because that's what kings did. When, when they came into power, the first thing that they did was, was to kill off any potential threat to his line. And, and Mephibosheth was one of the last existing heirs that would have existed to have claim to the throne. And so it absolutely made sense for him to be killed. And so for all Mephibosheth knew, he was being ushered into the the presence of the king to be executed. And that's why David starts with these words, do not fear. Because he knew exactly what this man was going to be going through. And the next words that we see in verse 7, I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And what we see here, there's these three statements that we're going to get from from David. And the first one is that I will shower you with my love. The the word that is used for kindness here is is something that's very difficult for us to understand because it's it's a covenant love. It's a promise. A steadfast love. It's bounty. It's, it's the showering of bounty onto a person and that results in the showing of love of that giver. The, the love of the giving, excuse me, the love of the giver, the heart of the giver is filled with love. And because it's filled with love, they give. And David hints at this. He says, I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'm showering my love on you 
because of who you are attached to. I'm showering my love on you, not because of what you have done, but because what someone else has done. And so here we have this this poor, crippled, rejected young man, scared to death as he stands before the king, whose life was, was made difficult by his grandfather, and yet he hears the king say, I will shower love and kindness upon you. And the second thing that we hear David say is, I will make you rich. He says, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. Who was Saul? Saul was the king of Israel. He had a lot of land. He had a lot of land. And here comes David saying, I will give you all of it. In the the culture and the, the... the time that we are looking at here, land was power. Land was wealth. And David's saying, I'm going to, by an act of my love, immediately move you from poverty to riches. Through an act of loving kindness, I'm going to elevate you out of the situation that you find yourself right now, and I am going to make you wealthy beyond anything you could have ever hoped for or imagined. And this is wealth that you could have never earned, but it's wealth that I'm giving to you freely. These riches, this wealth is a result of my love for you. And then there's a third thing that David says to Mephibosheth. He says, I will shower my love upon you. I will, will bring you great wealth. And finally, I will adopt you into my family. That's, that's what it means when, when it says that you shall eat at my table always. You will live in my courts You will be in the the inner sanctum of my family. You will be my son. That's that's really what David is saying when he's communicating with Mephibosheth. You will be my son. And Mephibosheth responds probably like a lot of us would respond in this situation. What is is your servant that you should show such regard for a dog like me? I'm nothing. I I have nothing. I deserve nothing. How could it be that you would shower me with all of this blessing? And we see beginning in verse 9 that that David immediately begins to act on the commitments that he's made. And in verse 13, it says, So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. There are two things that we need to point out this morning. 
it is so easy for us to get stuck on the pride of, of our position. The, the pride of, of our own knowledge, the, the pride of the fact that maybe we know the Bible well, the pride of, of theology, of position, of whatever it may be, that it is too easy for us to get stuck in that mindset to the point that we begin to look down upon others. And again, we talked about this upper and lower story. As you stand before the King of Kings, what things would you argue make you deserving? As you stand before God, what would you bring? What would you hold out as evidence as your right to receive his love? What, what can you hold out and say, because of this, I deserve eternity? There's nothing. There, there's nothing that exists in my life that I can hold up and say, because of this thing that I finally figured out, I deserve eternity with you. The fact of the matter is that we are a room full of Mephibosheths. We are a room full of people that, that have no claim whatsoever. We're poor, we're lost, we're living in the enemy's household, we are lame, we, we are broken by sin. In this particular story, Mephibosheth didn't seek out David. In this particular story, Mephibosheth didn't submit his application for the, the benefits that he was feeling like he was entitled to. In this particular story, the king goes to Mephibosheth and, and takes him. And Mephibosheth comes broken just as, as we come broken. He comes impoverished just as, as we come impoverished. He comes in fear because of what his family has done. And we come in fear because of the guilt that exists in our past. We come as sinners, poor, broken, wretched, weak, wounded, sick, sore, totally messed up. And we only have one argument that we get to use. There is only one argument that is able to be held up, and the argument is that it is his love. The only argument that we have is the love of Jesus Christ that has made it okay for me to participate in this transaction. And that love is what makes us like everyone else. That love is for a man and a woman. That love is for every race, 
every skin color, every person of, of different social or economic status. That love is for the world. And so we have what we have because of that love, not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, not because of my achievement, but because of the drama of the rescuing of his transforming grace, the fact that he has made a way for me to be with him. And that's the message that we're supposed to be proclaiming, not just here in these four walls, but in our life as we live it in contact with people that don't know. I am rescued. I am rescued from the domain of darkness, from the the domain of my own best efforts, and not just made a citizen of the kingdom of God, but I am made a child of the king. So because of the covenant love of Jesus Christ that, that is demonstrated on the cross, in a radical act of substitution where the price has been paid that I should have paid, I am granted love. Love is showered upon me. I'm I'm granted riches and I'm granted adoption. And I will never be the same again. As we prepare to take communion this morning. There's a, the, the scripture that we, we see from Paul where he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. This is my body that will be used to shower blessing upon you. This is my body that will will bring you eternal riches and glory. This is my body that will allow you to be adopted into my family. This is my body. This is my body that that I'm not accidentally giving. This is my body that I'm not begrudgingly giving. This is my body that I have planned for laying down on a cross, having nails driven through my hands and my feet. I have planned for this moment since the beginning of time. As Adam and Eve are in the garden and as they they make this choice to pursue their own kingdom, to pursue their own plans, to pursue their own desires, even in that moment, Jesus Christ says, I I have a plan. 
I have a plan that even though you are making this choice, I love you so much that I am going to make a way for you to be with me for all of eternity. And so on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, when Jesus does something, he doesn't just do it flippantly. When Jesus does something, it's not an accident. He took the bread and he gave thanks. Sometimes it's so easy to skip over that little phrase and just say, well, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies. Help us to have a great rest of the evening. Amen. But Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, knowing full well what he was going to be experiencing, sat down at a table with his friends, and he gave thanks. And he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. This is my body that I am giving freely so that we can be together. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and eat this morning. It says, in the same way, he also, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, we come this morning. We eat the bread, we, we drink from the cup, God, and we proclaim your death until you come. God, we look forward longingly to that day where you will come and you will wipe away every tear. That there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more death, Lord. You will make everything into what you have planned. But God, as, as we go forward, as we look forward to that time, Lord, we ask that your sacrifice would be made real to us. That we would go into our workplaces, that we would go into the different relationships that, that we have outside of these four walls, Lord, and that we would proclaim your love and your death on a, on a cross that made a way for us to be with you for eternity, that we would proclaim that 
act of love until you come. God, we come this morning when we proclaim that you are a father who loves his children. And just like we see David showering Mephibosheth with with riches, bringing him into a, a time of blessing, bringing him into his family, Lord. We, we see that you are doing just that, that you are also showering us with your love, showering us with, with eternal wealth, that you have adopted us into your family. God, we thank you that you are the Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 